Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti, and this is episode 100 of Yoga Land. So we finally arrived. Jason and I have been, have been talking about this episode for a while, and here we are. And it's sort of ironic that this episode has been fraught with the most technical difficulties of any episode I have ever done. I think it's the universe telling me, don't get too big for your britches. I had set out to record this intro saying, this is the first time ever I have five podcasts already produced and in the can, but actually I deleted one by accident. So I only have four podcasts in the can, which quite honestly is more than I've ever had in the can. So there is something that comes from doing this for two years, but it was just kind of funny that I recorded this whole intro and then the episode was gone and yada, yada, yada. Anyway, here we are. Thank you for listening. Thank you for all the feedback that you've given me over these last two years. Thank you for letting me know what really resonates with you because that's incredibly helpful and it feels like a real community out there, which I was hoping for when I started the podcast, but I didn't really know if that was possible. It feels that way. And when I meet you all at Jason's trainings, et cetera, et cetera, I do feel like I know you and you know me. And I'm hoping to do more public teaching slash speaking slash whatever comes. Oh, live episodes in the next in the next two years. That'll be a good next step for me. I feel like I've gone from being behind the computer and behind the scenes as an editor and a writer to taking this step forward of using my own voice and speaking and being pretty unscripted, which is, which is, was kind of stepping out of my comfort zone when I started it. And then, you know, next step will be to do more things in front of live breathing human beings. You, that's you. So Jason is coming to Detroit Yoga Lab this summer in June and we will be there. And uh, Sophia and I will be there visiting his in-laws and I will be recording a live podcast with Jason over that weekend workshop. And I'll give you more details. We have to decide on the exact time, but it will be sometime during that weekend. So if you're in the Detroit area and you want to come out and say hi, we'd love to see you. Let's see. So today's episode, today, Jason and I talk about the ways that you can improve your verbal cueing and communication. And so this is such a great episode for anyone to listen to. Obviously, he was thinking of it in the context of being a yoga teacher. And there are some things that are very yoga teacher specific. But as a person who has, who is much more skillful at written communication than verbal communication, I always love talking about this with him. He is, he has been a master of verbal communication for a very long time. It is his happy place. It's his comfort zone. And so he has a lot of good ideas and tips because as we all know, we may be trying to communicate simply and straightforward in a straightforward way, but that doesn't mean that it's easy. So I hope you enjoy the episode and I just look forward to hopefully at least two more years of producing this for you. Hi, Jason. Hello, Andrea. (laughs) Did I catch you off guard? No. (laughs) I just feel like I should have some response. Some pithy response. Like a signature response. Well, I think that is, this is our signature way of starting. I guess it is. Pretty much at this point. We're so minimalist. 
Okay. So today we're going to talk about verbal communication. Yeah. And I think this is such a great topic. Yeah. Um, it's something that I personally struggled with for a long time. This podcast has really improved my verbal communication. Yeah, of course. And so it comes with practice. That's actually a point I want to make. Yeah. It's part Some of- Some of the stuff just comes with practice. Right. But you have to know what you are trying to practice. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. The other reason I'm excited about this topic is because we, we do get- a fair amount of questions that dance around this issue. People say, I'm nervous speaking in front sure. of the group. I'm nervous before my class. Sure. I don't know how to memorize my sequence. Sure. Et cetera. Yeah. So yeah, you've written a few blog posts on the topic, which yeah. we'll obviously link to in the show notes page so people can review kind of what we're going to talk about today. Yeah. I think this stuff is actually more important than manual adjustments. Manual adjustments get so much time. But the reality is in any given class you teach, it's mostly an auditory environment. Mm -hmm. You know, everyone has the potential to hear everything you say. Only a few people here and there have the potential to receive adjustments. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Even if you adjusted in every pose. You're only going to adjust one person per pose. Mm -hmm. So even if you only have 10 people in class, there's still nine of the people, the thing, the manual adjustment either you're doing is, is totally irrelevant to them. Mm -hmm. But what you're saying and how you're saying it and why you're saying it has the ability to touch everyone. Mm -hmm. I think this is a skill set that's like, it's shocking to me that this is not a massive focal point. Yeah. I'm going to mix things up a little bit and ask you a question that you're not prepared for. I'm never prepared for questions. <laughs> <laughs> you know that. <laughs> what did you first struggle with the most when you started teaching in, in the realm of verbal communication? As the teacher? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I was nervous. I still get nervous from, from time to time. I don't really get nervous like I feel like I'm going to bomb, but I get, I'll get excited. I'll get adrenaline. And... I'm never fearful to teach like I used to be, but I'll get excited and I'll get adrenalized and I'll have a difficult time slowing down. Hmm. So when I get nervous, when I get nervous, I speed up. I don't shut off. You know, like some people under nerves, they'll like shut off. And some people under nerves just are just crazy. So I will get more crazy. I'll just blah, 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 blah. I just won't take a pause. Mm -hmm. The other thing, and this was, this happened, I still struggle with this as a teacher. I've gotten better, but very early on when I was teaching, there was a student in class who came up after me and said, you know, thanks for class, really good, blah, 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 blah. And then they said, I'm a vocal coach. And they they weren't trying to sell me on anything, but she said, I really like your voice, but you do one thing that you want to, to try to not do. And she had a term for it. There's actually a name for it. But essentially what I'll do from time to time is at the end of the sentence, I'll let it trail off. Yes, you do. You know? Mm -hmm. and, I, and I know where it comes from is that when I talk, when I teach, I, I'm pretty loud. I project. I never use a microphone. I'll teach a group of 100 people. I don't use a microphone. I, I project really well. And I always unconsciously try to soften the blow of talking loudly in yoga class. You know what I mean? It's this, it's this thing where we teach, we want to be clear and objective and affirmative. 
And yet we don't want to be harsh. We won't, don't want to have like sort of a, a hard edge to the timber. And so this is something I, I really struggle with. It's, and it's really common. Not, it makes things a little sing-songy. Like, I don't think I'm that sing-songy, no. good God. No. But this is something I struggle with. And it's something that as a teacher, you know, I, t- I tell them, the students that I train, I say, look, when you're teaching, you should be having specific skills that you are practicing while you are teaching. Like you, you, like when you're teaching your class, you aren't just teaching your students. You need to think to yourself, you know, there's something in this class today I want to be better at as a teacher. And maybe it's using people's names. Maybe it's projecting more. Maybe it's taking more pauses. Maybe it's saying fewer things. Whatever it is, I think that as a teacher, you want to have a little bit of a game plan in there where you're self-aware of your own self and educational skills and you and you're and you're doing your best to be as thorough and complete as you can this is something i think about all the time stay verbally strong through the whole sentence don't drop off mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah so that i think those i think those two also you sometimes can sound a little bit like kim kardashian a lot <laughs> you've got vocal fry Every I phrase everything as a question. Exactly. Down dog. <laughs> Once in a while, I do. That would be but, my. Issue. But that but would be my issue. Usually, if I say down dog, or no, no, more will be like uh, right side. Yeah, it's because I actually can't remember. I forgot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and then I'll be like, I. If that sounded like a question, I'm. It's actually a question, you guys. What's what bleep inside are we on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. All right. So, what are some other common things that people do that that well i'm going to turn the table on you Mm. you taught a little yoga in your life yeah for like 20 minutes did you make (laughs) it through a class two years kidding me how many classes did you have i had no idea well i literally had no idea for I taught part time. I was working at Yoga Journal. Okay, so like on average, how many classes a week did you teach? Two classes a week for two years. Terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I had like three students. I taught at you that- guys. It's really hard. It's hard being a teacher. Is hard. I taught at that bank, bank, bank of, bank of, bank of America Bay Club. So you know, it was a very small yeah, yeah, room, yeah, yeah, yeah. a very small gym. Maybe yeah, like three or four people. Yeah, yeah, but conveniently close. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, because I was working downtown. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. I thought it was like you subbed seven no. minutes of it. I thought you like taught Surya Namaskar for Sarah Powers or something. No, I taught for quite a while. All right. So what did you find ver- verbally it, that you struggled with or just sort of on the communication line that you struggled with? I had a really hard time... Um, how much to fill or not fill the space. Oh God, it's impossible. It was so hard. I mean, you're like looking at people's backs most of the time. <laughs> Down dog, or, you know, you just don't have, I'm such a pleaser and I'm so yeah. reliant on, I'm, I'm like, I read people very well. And so to have that all taken away from me, the inability to read anything, because you can't read people while they're exercising or doing yoga. Or I think we think that state. we can. But it's, it's really hard, actually. So I really struggled with that, with the silence and not uh-huh. knowing how much to fill it or not fill it. That was my main thing. Yeah. That was my main thing. I mean, I think that for me and for all the listeners, it's it's an ongoing question. 
You know, I mean, that it's a total ongoing question. I've just gotten more comfortable leaving more silence if I don't feel like I have something to say in that moment. I've actually learned so much from you, believe it or not, still from the days of writing for you. Yeah. Where I've just gotten much more editorial and I stay more to the point of any given class that I'm teaching. I don't fill the room with sounds just to fill the room with sounds. Yeah. Yes, but this is hard. It's really hard. I think a couple of the other really common challenges or the common errors, the common mistakes that people make is number one, it's like the most basic one, but not speaking loudly enough. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's really, it's really hard, but especially for people that are teaching in rooms with music, you actually have to be pretty loud. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the things that I notice in peer teaching in the trainings that I do when we do peer teaching It's hard. It's hard to get people, even in question and answer sessions in my trainings, I want everyone that asks a question to say it loudly enough that everyone in the room, including people behind them here, because it's part of the training. It's really uncomfortable when you're in a social situation where you can't hear the lead, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. When you can't hear a teacher, everyone's everyone's had that experience where you're in down dog and you're kind of like looking around to see what someone else is doing because they can hear them. Yeah. Yeah. It can be really, really hard. Yeah. Another challenge that everyone has, including me, I mean, I was just on fire with this in my class yesterday, is filler words. We add filler words. For me, what is my filler word? What's one of them? Are you even taking class with me in a long time? Mm-mm. Good. The other little tick that I have that I picked up from Rodney 15 years ago. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. That was his. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I still remember it, right? And as a student, I never, I never minded it. You know what I mean? Like the filler words, they're not perfect communication, but they're part of how people communicate. Right. In conversations. Right. You know, it's part of that. It's like you're on a long phone call and occasionally you say, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. It, it's sort of like that. That happens. But too many filler words can be distracting. Right. I think when you're in casual conversation, filler words are just like getting visual feedback from someone. They're a way to give feedback. The filler word that I notice most often in casual conversation these days is right. 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 Every, you know, we all do that. And, right. And that's, that's, it's like you're saying, it's completely we're not robots. We want to speak normally in day-to-day conversation. But when you're when you're a yoga teacher, you are in essence doing a type of a presentation. It's a type. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. it's a slightly You're communicating to a group audience. Yeah. So you want to be able to refine these streamline things as your, well as you can. Streamline your vocabulary a little bit. <clears throat> and part of it is everyone on the planet, no matter how attentive they are, they have a limited bandwidth for the for what you say in 90 minutes. And so I say this pretty regularly. I don't remember where I heard it. I think it was from a sports announcer, actually. What this person said was, the things that you do not say help the things that you do say stand out. So the fewer filler words, those unconscious, it's like white rice. There's no, 
there's no new there's no there's not there's no, no nutrition value. yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. cutting those or trying to minimize those without being so uptight about doing that that you lose your mind and hate yourself even more you know what i mean <laughs> so like so like true. you just you can't you can't get down on yourself for doing this stuff but you do want to try to clean this up mm-hmm. I find that I have a harder time managing this when I'm either A, really excited, or B, really tired. You know, those are both situations where I have a difficult time being as economized as I can be. For me, it's when I'm nervous because I want I fall back on my verbal tics. I fall back on my comfortable speech, which is if you haven't guessed yet, listening to this podcast, saying the word like, <laughs> you know, I, I've really tried and, you know, oh my goodness, I've really, really tried. It's hard. I've worked on those. But when I'm nervous and I just need, it's just like eating comfort food. Yeah. It's just there. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, that's the equivalent of being excited. Like I don't, like I said, I don't get nervous when I teach yoga anymore, but I do get excited. Mm-hmm. excited. I don't get afraid that I'm not going to do a good job. I know that not everyone is going to love my class, but I know that I'm going to teach a good class. And whether or not it's someone cup of tea or not, that's that really is going to come down to preferences. But I have enough confidence in my experience in this subject matter that I'm going to teach a good class. I'm not worried about that. And I know what I can control and what I can't control with regards to people liking it so that i don't even that's that's way heavy on me but sometimes i get excited still Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know it's good for sure it's good let's move on to being more proactive, some advice and tips for people to improve their communication. Yes. Okay. Number one, add landmarks when you instruct, right? English nerds out there, finish your prepositional phrases. I'm going to give you a couple examples of this. So let's say you're teaching in a room what I mean by landmarks is there might be a stage, there's a front of the room, there's a clock, there's the door, there might be windows, there might be mirrors. Like on each wall in most situations, there's some definable thing. There's some landmark, okay? And what I find is really helpful, like for example, when I'm teaching at Love Story on Tuesday and Thursday, there's a stage at the front of the room. So when people are doing Ardha Uttanasana in, in sun salutations, I don't say inhale, lift your chest up. I say inhale, pull your chest toward the stage. Hmm. Because the landmark gives this external object that we're, that we're actually m- moving toward. Right. And don't, if anyone's like, well, yoga is an internal practice, then just hang up now. Okay. (laughs) Because that's obvious. But the body is in spatial relationship to the things that are around it always. 
And when you orient around a spatial object, what I find is you get a more a much more complete action, right? Or it's sort of like if you're a, if you're in a race, going first is the hardest. Going second, third, fourth, fifth, going towards the end is the easiest. Because when you go second or third or fourth or fifth, you actually have a specific goal that you are trying to run down. You have a time that you're trying to run down. You have something you're trying to beat. And when you have that sort of external thing to move your focus and your energy toward, you you tend to have a more complete experience with that thing. The other thing to remember is people get all twisted up. So for example, let's say we're doing revolve triangle pose. Saying like, step the right foot forward, turn the ball of the back foot in, lengthen your spine, turn to the right, reach the, reach the arm up, reach the arm Place down, the left hand on pull the your right, right hip leg. back. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, it gets actually really confusing. Yeah. But if you say, rotate your chest towards the door, reach the top arm toward the ceiling, spiral your back ribs toward the floor. That gives people spatial orientation and and diffuses clutter. It takes away that sort of moment where that person is in their head having to figure out the message. When you make the message really, really clear by giving spatial indication, instead of just up, down, right, left, forwards, backwards, you help that person move right into their body rather than having to sort of cogitate the the spatial thing. Right. I mean, you, some of us still hold our hands out in front and check the L for right and left. <laughs> and you can't do that when you're, you know, doing Prasarita Padottanasana. You can't. Okay. So we talked about editing yourself. That's yeah. another tip that you have. What about creating space? Well, let me let me put edit yourself and create space together. Okay. Let's start with edit yourself. And let's start with this. This is another thing that I learned from you as an editor. Do you remember the first thing I wrote for you? Yeah, triangle pose. Do you remember that massacre that you sent me back? <laughs> I do because you've talked about it so many times, but that's pretty much a standard massacre. Just FYI. No, I know. I know. Yeah, I, know. I mean, it's not like you were like remedial. It's just most people, the first time they write for, you know, a national publication, they want to do a really good job. So they sort of put the whole kitchen sink <laughs> yeah, in there. Yeah, not the whole kitchen sink, the house and the kitchen sink. <laughs> and, like, and all of light on yoga. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> right? And essentially your message to me was you cannot teach everyone everything there is to know even about one pose in a 1,500-word article. Right. So you have to figure out one or two really compelling things and focus on those things. And this to me is maybe one of the biggest breakthroughs that I've had as a yoga teacher in the past many years, which is totally abandoning the idea that I'm supposed to teach every student everything about every pose in every class. Mm. Because what happens when you do that is you end up just teaching teaching the same, saying the same four bleeping things about warrior one every time you do it. About warrior two every time you do it. Mm. And it's, and essentially there's there becomes no depth, right? And so since you can't teach everyone everything about every pose in every class, don't try. But teach them one or two very compelling things that they will always learn, that they will always do 
moving on and stick to that. Mm -hmm. So for me, I really edit myself so that I really only give one set of instructions to one part of the body for the majority of yoga poses. And that is almost always tailored to the sequence. So if it's a, let's say it's a sequence on, I've been teaching a lot of backbends lately, arm overhead backbends. So I want people to understand their shoulders, their shoulder blades, the rotation of the arms, action of the fingers, and the feeling of uh, the mid and upper back. So if that's going to be my focus, that's all I'm going to talk about. When I teach you triangle pose, I'm not going to say, take the feet four feet apart, align one heel with the other heel, internally rotate the back leg, external, it's actually external rotate both legs, but you know what I mean? All I'm going to do is in triangle pose, I'm going to tell you what to do with the upper back, the head, the neck, the shoulders, the arms. In down dog, I'm going to tell you what to do with the upper back, the shoulders, the head, the neck, the arms. So my classes in this way are super, super, super editorial. And what I assume as a student, not even as a teacher, what I assumed when I went to Rodney's classes and Richard's classes, what I assumed was if I'm going to learn from these people, it's going to take years of commitment. I'm going to have to keep coming back to actually learn what they have to teach because there's so much there. They're not going to teach me just like the same random things about poses time and time again. I have to keep coming back. Mm -hmm. It is my responsibility as a student. If I want to learn this discipline from this teacher that has depth, I need to show up. So I actually feel the same way as a teacher. I feel the same like, let's, let's focus our verbal instructions and be really consistent and limit the scope of what we're trying to teach on any given day, but make sure that thing is really, really clear. So here's what I like about this approach. And this is, I think, what you mean when you're saying that it's editorial, which is the best piece of writing is something where the writer understands what they want you to learn and what they want you to take away from that piece. So like a 5,000 word Atlantic piece, that writer and that editor still knows what they want you to talk about at the party where you see your friend the next day and you're like, oh my God, did you read that Atlantic piece? They would blah, 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 yeah, blah. It's storylined out. Right? So, so everything else is just supporting that very important piece of information. Totally. And writing this way is much more difficult than the kitchen sink approach, right? Where you just... Do you think it's more difficult or it just takes more skill? I think it's both. Okay. I think it's both because it it takes more thought process yes. and more ability to synthesize information yeah. and understand your own point of view yeah. and yeah, then yeah, yeah. express it. Yeah. And it's the same thing with teaching, yes. I would imagine. Yes. So so that's what makes I think that's what elevates the verbal cueing from like you said, simply instructing the pose to editing yourself, but in the spirit of understanding what you're ultimately trying to convey to people. So when yes. they walk out of that class, they're like, oh, I really now understand how to do X, Y, or Z in my body. Yes. And they're not going to say like, oh, I loved that verbal cueing. No, but no, they're gonna exactly. Know they're going to learn something. They're gonna and learn that something. thing is going to stick. Mm-hmm. 
you know? Mm-hmm. And that that's that to me is my goal as a teacher is like is to make things sticky. You know, is to make people um to help the dynamics of yoga stay really sticky and actually like accumulate depth and skill sets over time. Mm-hmm. And I just know like I and again, not just as a teacher, I, I take responsibility as a student of everything I'm a student of to realize if I'm going to learn this, this is a lifelong thing, Mm -hmm. you know? So I can't expect my teacher to tell me everything there is to know about everything in every class. Right. You know, I, I can't, I, that, that's not how things work. You know, if I sat down and I was like, okay, I want to learn how to play the violin today. Show me how to play the violin today. You know, it's a joke. You have to like, if I want to learn the violin, it's going to be decades. So for better and sometimes for worse, that's how I set myself up as a teacher. Mm -hmm. I'm going to teach you the things that I'm going to teach you this month. And if you keep practicing this month, you will learn those things and they're really important things really damn well. Mm -hmm. And then if you come next month, you'll get to leverage those skills and you'll learn something else. Mm -hmm. You know, and and it's, it's, it's what I expect of myself as a student. The other component of it, the, 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 the give yourself space, right, is if you think about this, there's, there's probably a lot of students out there that have done or heard, uh, in, worked with an interpreter, right, from one language to another language. I think about this when I t- think about giving space, okay, which is... When we are giving verbal cues, when people are receiving those verbal cues, they're hearing it, but it's just words. It's just cognitive information. Their body has to interpret it. So if I say, reach your arms overhead, I am not producing the effect of reaching the arms overhead. You're hearing reaching arms overhead, and then you, and then you have to react and reach your arms overhead. So I need to allow a little bit of space between the instruction that I give so that you can hear it, interpret it, and do it before I give the next instruction. This is one of the most difficult things. And in it's such a problem in contemporary vinyasa yoga. I'll just say it as like, it's things have so sped up in such a like an unnecessary and ineffective way. People tell me this all the time. They're like, oh, I don't understand. People say inhale and then on the next exhale, reach the arms up. It's like, well, I, I didn't even get I didn't inhale. have even time to do the first thing, right. let alone the second two things. You know, and so what happens when you're always giving instructions but not giving people the time to execute those instructions? They stop listening. Mm. If I only ever tell you to do things that 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 you can't actually do because I don't give you the bandwidth to do it, you're going to stop participating. Yeah, You might still come to class because you might like the vibe or the music or you'd be like, okay, th- I can just tune this person out. I like the sequence and I feel better afterwards and it's the only class I can go to, but you're not going to listen. Right. Yeah. You know? It's like not giving people time to land. You need, they need to land. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, you actually have to, it's also in vinyasa yoga, like you have to stabilize the pose. You have to take a moment in the pose. You have to register the note and sort of flesh it out for it to be of value to you. 
you know? And so as an instructor, you want to give your instructions, but you want to give like inhale, reach the arms up, exhale, fold forward, inhale, lengthen the spine towards the front of the room, exhale, step back, chaturanga. There's got to actually be the time. It's not even just time to breathe, but it's time to do the thing. Mm -hmm. Do you know what that's called when you're reading a script, like in theater? It's called um, just their beats. Uh So it's you say your line, wait a beat, then the person responds. Say your line, they say a line, you wait two beats. So it's you, you sort of count it in beats. Yeah. You know, this This also goes back to the question, not the question, but the dynamic you were expressing earlier of how, mu- how much is enough, right? Yes. How many words is enough? Well, if you're not giving any beats, you're going to, man. Burn out. <laughs> you're going to burn out and it's not going to be worth it. Mm-hmm. Easy. I mean, in some ways they were my hardest, but one of the easiest things I've ever done in my life from a verbal cueing standpoint was all of the teaching that I've done in the past in Japan. Because every word that I spoke in Japan was interpreted into Japanese. And Japanese is a, is a it takes longer to say some, most things in Japanese than it does in English. Mandarin's the opposite. Mandarin, like I can talk for four minutes and then in Mandarin, it's like, it's over. Oh, wow. That's yeah. so interesting. <clears throat> but so teaching trainings and traveling around in Japan, I would say like broaden your shoulder blades. And then it's like this like this four minute conversation with the interpreter. Yeah, I remember. Oh my God. And then it's like lift your waistline yeah. or, you know, whatever it is. And it was so good. Like I got into such a relaxed teaching cadence. I have never been in a more relaxed teaching cadence. I didn't get fried doing that stuff. I didn't over teach. And this is a situation too, again, where if you if you have like 100 increments or like 100 pieces of information, well, if you double space those, you get a lot more time. Hmm. You, you, get, you get your own time. You get your own rest. People have time to do something. There's actually sort of a nice conversational vibe. You don't feel like you're being monologued to. You know, that's the other thing when people talk really fast and go really fast. As a student, you just start to feel like you're being monologued to. It doesn't feel like a human conversation. Rodney, in in such a way, I think, you know, was such a poet, I think, in the way that both he taught and what it felt like. Like, in his classes as a student, I felt like we were in conversation. Mm. It felt like it felt like he was the conductor of this symphony, but it didn't feel like I was being talked to. Right. Talked at. Or yeah. talked at. Yeah. I felt like I was I was part of the music. Mm-hmm. And he was just conducting that music. It was an actual conversation. It wasn't this like onslaught of just like one thing after another thing after another thing, which that might be fine for some people, but that's not, you know, give me a break. I think that what you're saying, just another way of saying it, it just reminds me of the fact that as a yoga teacher, of course, we, you know, I, I admitted it myself, like I felt nervous, like I had to fill the space. Totally. But really, the way to think about it is that you're actually creating 
the space for people. There's just so few situations in our lives where we get to slow down and yes. actually feel things and notice things, our breath, our body, our mind, our thoughts. And so there has to be a conductor of that totally. space who feels comfortable owning that totally. and standing solidly in that and and creating that for people. Totally. Yeah. And the thing is too, is like, I don't always execute it well, but I, I rarely like to sort of pull this card, but I think so many people are afraid to slow the pace down, to take a breath, to, to slow their verbal pace down because they think that students want to go hard and fast. And I just want to say, you're wrong. I am as commercially successful as anyone in the contemporary yoga world. And I go slow. Mm -hmm. So I'm just, I'm, I'm bringing that up because I want people to know that there is an extreme amount of demand for good yoga that makes people work hard, but doesn't make people feel like they're late for a, for a presentation. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's sort of like, you know, you and I both really respect other forms of physicality. And so if someone wants to spin or do a hit, practice and train, do it. I do Brazilian jiu-jitsu and we work unbelievably hard in five minute increments, five minutes on, one minute off, five minutes on, one minute off. But I don't want my yoga practice to feel like my training session. Yeah, me too. You know what I mean? And I and the thing is, is that I actually don't think most students do. No, I don't either. I don't you know, know what I mean? Because most the, the reality is that most students do other physical disciplines too, mm -hmm. or at least the least the majority of my students also do some other stuff. Mm -hmm. So we have time to give people time <laughs> to do the thing that we've asked them to do, and if we don't, I think that we're I think that we're starting to really undercut the value of what this discipline is. Mm -hmm. Another tip is to give instructions in pairs. It's funny when I step back, I don't feel like in, in these conversations I've talked that much about Rodney as my teacher, but I think I've, I've learned so much from him, but the, the two things that I think he made the strongest impact on, sequencing and communicating. You know, I think he was really a master sequencer and communicator. Probably, I'm sure he still is. I just don't don't get to take class with him like I did. Um, and this was something he would always do. Is get, and I don't know if he even said it as as much, or it's something that I just understood that he did by watching technique. Because I don't, for me as a teacher, for me as a student, I'm also watching the technique of the teacher. And what he would always do is give instructions in pairs. So if something, if he was saying, let's say you're in a lunge, let's say you're in crescent lunge, right leg forward. If he said, drop the front leg, he would follow that by saying, lift the back leg. If he said, press the front heel into the floor, he'd follow that by saying something like, reach the fingers into the ceiling. If he said something like, in down dog, draw the top of the thigh bones up and back, the complement to that is draw the inner heels down and back, right? So you're so in this situation, again, I don't want people to overthink this, but if you step back and you think about what you're doing in asana, you're never just doing one thing and you're never just moving in one direction. 
you're always creating motion and counter motion because that's the way that you that you maintain equilibrium. If I'm in warrior two and I'm just, and my right leg's forward and I'm just reaching forward through my right arm, then I don't have good equilibrium. I have to reach equally through my left arm. So the point on this is when you ask a student to do more of something, then there's also a complementary, probably opposing action that you can also cue. Right. That's what I was going to ask. So yeah. when you're presenting those pairs, are you thinking about actual complementary physical actions? Usually. Okay. Sometimes I think about it too as also climbing a ladder. So let's um, sort of st- um, a progression, right? So let me give you an example. Let's say someone's in a standing forward fold. And you might tell them um, lift up on the outer arch, right? Lift up on the outer arch, lift up on the outside of the shins, lift up on the outside of the thighs, lift up on the outside of the hips. Then you include the opposite, which is, and allow the top of the head to release towards the floor. You might ladder it, right? You might sort of build a progression in one region and then complement that with the opposite of something else. Cool. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, this is, and to me, this is the easiest way. Like it's not so much of a rule, but it's it's an organizational principle. And it also gives, it gives the feeling in the students of intensifications, but but intensifications that that help them maintain equilibrium mm-hmm. in their body and stay centered. Mm-hmm. Again, you're never moving just one direction ever, not in a decent pose. Yeah. 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 Okay. So last tip. Yeah. And this one's kind of hard to describe, but we'll be brief about it. I'm going to step back and think about Bhagavad Gita for a moment, right? What? Well, I'm going to test your Bhagavad Gita knowledge. Oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. She's mentioned it. She's, she, you know what she's doing right now? She's doing a no, 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 no. But this is easy. This is so easy. Because you were saying earlier an Atlantic story, right? Or, Remember, I have the power right? to edit things out. <laughs> I know you do. So here. In that situation, you're talking about authors, right? This is going to take a full circle, okay? It's going to take, it's not like a book report. It's going to take, (laughs) it's okay. I can deal with that. I know you don't. (laughs) Okay, so this is going to take a full circle. You were saying that the author knows that there's a takeaway that they want the reader to have Mm -hmm. or some questions that they want the reader to have. In the Bhagavad Gita, really, what what is Krishna trying to get Arjuna to do? He's trying to get him to fight in the battle. I know. See, I knew you were going to get it right. He's trying to get him to do his bleeping job. Right. That's it. That's a dharma. Okay. That's it. That's all she wrote. That's the story, folks. Okay. Now, there's many different things that come up in the conversations around this, but make no mistake. That is a goal-oriented thesis. It is a story about someone trying to get someone else to do a thing that they don't want to do, period. Should we write a new version of the Bhagavad Gita all about Sophia Rose Crandall? Oh my God. Well, you know, I, I am convinced. I, I have a pretty, I think I'm pretty good at summarizing the majority of the yoga texts to my teacher trainees in under eight seconds. 
And there's many more to these things, but th- these are all really clear. Like it's, they're all very, really good, poignant bodies of work should be highly divinable. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like they're not these random exercises in, you know, um, stream of consciousness, right? They're things that if you spend a long time contemplating, you're like, oh, that's what this was trying to get at. So you have the Bhagavad Gita and you essentially have all sorts of philosophical, spiritual, existential things that arise from that story. But the bottom line is the teacher is trying to get the student to do something, okay? But what happens? The teacher gives the student a cue. He says, go do this and this is why. And then the student at the end of the chapter says, "Mm, no, not nope. And then says, why nope? And so in the next chapter, the teacher says, that previous thing I was saying, forget about it. That's that's yesterday's news. Don't even think about it. This is what I was trying to teach you. And this is why. Okay. So I forget the exact number of chapters, but the whole book is this. The whole book is is the teacher trying to get the student to do one action. And every time the student says, nope, not into it, the teacher doesn't repeat the same lesson. He says, forget the last lesson, skip it. Here's this lesson. Now go do it. Parenthetical note, knucklehead. (laughs) Right? He says, go do it. It is the teacher's responsibility to not teach the student something different, but vary the way by which they are teaching the thing if the student is not understanding the thing. Mm-hmm. So what I'm what I'm trying to get at with this point is that as the as the as the teacher, you have to have a lot of different ways to communicate the same thing. You have to have different ways of describing the same action. You have to have different um, sequences to describe the same action. You have to, at times, if you're comfortable with it, use a story. You can use metaphor. You can use analogy. You can use black and white instruction. As the teacher, we have many different ways to essentially teach the same thing. And it's something I ask everyone in trainings to do, and I'd ask everyone just as listeners to do who's a teacher is, and even as a student, is to step back and say, if you're a teacher, what are you really trying to teach your students? Like, what are you actually trying to do when you're teaching a class? And my guess is if you get to the heart of the answer, it's something very straightforward and simple, but difficult to actually do. Yeah, that's true. But, right? But so you need to be able to communicate that thing very, very consistently and very clearly in a lot of different language styles. I, a hundred percent. And, and as well, I mean, I guess we are specifically talking about language in this podcast, but it goes hand in hand with also uh, understanding variations and different approaches yeah. for teaching people. It also goes into manual adjustments. Mm-hmm. You know, if you haven't listened to the conversation about manual adjustments, go back and listen to that. And really manual adjustments should come from a deep understanding of what are you really trying to communicate when you're communicating this physical cue to your student and why? Yeah, yeah. And why? 
Yes. That is the big takeaway, I think, from today. Figure out what you're trying to teach and why, and then use these tips for putting that into practice. I think the big takeaway was to get a ton of hate mail for revealing how simple the Bhagavad Gita actually is. (laughs) But poignant things are often ridiculously simple, but hard to execute. But I am going to write part two. And it's going to focus on how to get Sophia Rose Crandall to brush her teeth without complaining. Oof. I, I mean, it, it really will take an act of God to make it happen. Yeah. I think. Maybe. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Jason. Thanks for listening. We have a blog post that's like a companion piece to this episode. So I'll put a link to that on the show notes page, which you can find at yogalandpodcast.com slash episode 100. And if you want to be the first to know about upcoming live events with Jason and with me, you should follow our newsletter. You should subscribe to our newsletter. We send it out twice a month. It has new content in it and uh, it's, it's, it'll change your life. It's fabulous. You can subscribe to it on our homepage. So just go to jasonyoga.com and sign up. All right, until next week, enjoy your practice. <laughs>